السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ نحمده ونستعینه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سیئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so our lecture today is on a great and mighty topic and it is an explanation of the meaning of a muslim's declaration of faith which is the kalima la ilaha illallah la ilaha illallah yarhamukullah this is something which enters a person outwardly when he expresses this statement it enters him into islam and this statement is a statement with which allah azawajal he sent all of the messengers walaqad ba'athna fi kulli ummatir rasula an i'budullaha wajtanibut taghut that we indeed raised or sent amongst every single nation a messenger with the message or with the command to worship Allah alone and to abandon false gods, false deities. And this is the essence of the meaning of the kalima. That when you say la ilaha illallah, you are saying that there is nothing which deserves to be worshipped. There is nothing which has the right to be worshipped. There is nothing to whom I should direct my prayer, my sacrifice, my reliance, my call for aid and rescue except Allah Azza wa Jal. And it's for this very reason that Allah Azza wa Jal he created the creation, the jinn and the men. وَمَا خَلَقُتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create the jinn and the men except that they may worship me. So mankind, all of mankind from the time of Adam alayhi salam to the time of Nuh alayhi salam were upon this tawheed, they were upon this kalima. They worshipped Allah alone. And then in the time of Nuh alayhi salam, the reason why Nuh alayhi salam was sent and raised as a messenger, because amongst his people, there were those or his people, they deviated and they swerved away from this kalima. And they began to take others as gods and deities alongside Allah azza wa jal. And this did not happen overnight or in a week, or in a month, but rather there was a step-by-step process by which these people went from worshipping Allah alone to worshipping others alongside Allah Azza wa Jal. And this process is explained when we look in the Sahih of Al-Bukhari, and he mentions from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, 
who explains that what happened with the people of Nuh is that there used to be amongst them righteous men. They were righteous men. Men known for piety. Men known for worshipping Allah. Giving charity. And being truthful and honest. And looking after the guest. Looking after the neighbor. And all of the various deeds of righteousness. And then these people, they passed away. And the people began to spend time around the graves. And then they began to, shaitan is inspiring them with, with thoughts and ideas that maybe if you just uh, make some representation and put it in your homes by which you can remember the righteousness of these people. So it wasn't initially to worship them, but just to remind yourself that these were righteous men, that these were pious men, that these were men who were close to Allah, worshipped Allah. So just to remind yourself of their piety, so you can become pious like them. So this is how they started. They began to make small representations, put them in the homes. So that generation who began to do this, they did not commit shirk with Allah at this stage. So that generation passed away. And then the generations that came afterwards, then shaitan came to them and said to them, that maybe you should make these things, that maybe you should make them in the form of, you know, as in the form of figures or representations to remind you of those people. Then, so basically, step by step, eventually, when that generation passed away and he whispered a different thing to the next generation, and over time, what happened is at the end of it all, he came and he said to them that your ancestors used to worship these things, used to worship these idols. So it started with one thing which is exaggeration or which is to basically use the righteousness of people to become attached to them and to remind oneself of them. Then exaggeration, ghulu, and eventually it leads to worshipping others besides Allah. Now as I said, this does not take a week or a month or a year or a decade. It can take many, many generations. And we see that shaitan has done the same to this ummah, this nation, and we see that there are, there are numerous steps that he has taken in order to misguide this nation and to lead people to shirk. And so that process involves maybe five or six steps. First of all, he inspires people to build and to decorate the graves. To decorate the graves. So people start putting flowers, they raise the grave, they build over it. And this causes people to compete with each other in beautifying the graves. And this is something that we know that we have been prohibited from. Because the Messenger of Allah, he was sent with the perfect guidance. He was sent to establish the Tawheed of Allah and also to cut off every single path and every single route that leads towards people entering into shirk or falling into shirk. So he cut off every single route, and we see this very clearly in what in the, in the message and the guidance which he brought. So this is the first stage. People begin to beautify the graves and to embellish them and to build over them. And so what happens after this is the second stage is that people now start spending time at the grave. They make regular visits, and it's not just to make du'a for the dead; it's to come and to be in the presence 
of the dead and this you know nice tomb and mausoleum and flowers and everything and then shaitan inspires them and says you know what you should spend time here and make dua to allah because making dua to allah here by the grave is something that is superior to making dua sitting at home or even in the mosque so why don't you spend time here and make dua to allah by the side of the grave so at this stage remember there's no shirk here there's no shirk but at this stage so shaitan he moves step by step by step by step so he says to this person inspires these people spend time here and make dua to allah because maybe you are here at the grave by the side of a righteous man and your dua is more likely to be answered so this is now the second stage so a person now spends time frequents the graves stands by their sides and makes dua to allah asks allah and asks for his needs for his needs so there's nothing wrong here then the next stage shaitan whispers to him the third stage and he says to him you know this man is a righteous man and you should ask allah through him why don't you ask through him you are a sinful man this man was righteous he has status he has position why don't you ask allah oh, oh allah i ask you by way of this man i ask you by the right of this man i ask you by the status of this man by the haq of this man and by the jah the status of this man i ask you to answer my dua so now he's moved from making dua to allah and now he's using the deceased and he's asking allah through the deceased in the sense that he's imposing upon allah saying oh allah answer me because of the right of this man answer me because of the status of this man and you should know that there's no connection between between the status of this man and your dua being answered because there's, there's no connection there actually is no connection because the status of this man is for him with allah it's got nothing to do with your dua being answered right so just because this man has a status with allah doesn't mean that's a reason for allah answering your dua right right that's between him and allah right so now shaitan he makes this link in the mind of an individual and starts making him to make dua to allah through this man so now he starts making dua oh allah i ask you because of the right of so and so Allah is not obliged to answer your dua because of the right of so and so. You can't impose upon Allah. But shaitan makes this person think that this is a guaranteed way to make your dua to be answered. Right? So this now is the is the is the third stage. So now we start saying, oh "Allah, I ask you by the right of this wali. I ask you by the honor of this wali that you do such and do such and such." So then shaitan moves to the fourth stage. and in this stage he now moves him to the level of asking this man in the grave to make shafa'a to intercede with him to make dua to allah for him so whereas before he was making dua to allah through the man through his status through his position now he's asking the man to make dua to allah on his behalf meaning, meaning which is that he's asking for shafa'a which is intercession intercede for me with allah 
Just like for example, on the earth when you see you have a king and he has ministers and he, there, there are subjects. So it is believed that you can't approach the king unless you go through the minister. And so you go to the minister and you explain your needs. The minister then goes and intercedes on your behalf. He goes to the king and says, Oh king, so and so is demanding such and such and I advise you, I implore you, you know, do such and such for him. Right? So they wrongly, so shaitan makes this person think that Allah Azawajal, this is how he deals with his creation. And this is false. This is batil. Allah Azawajal does not behave with his servants as we see the kings and their ministers and their subjects. No. But he makes, but shaitan makes him believe at this stage that if you ask this deceased person who was righteous and pious, he has a status with Allah, position with Allah, you ask him to make dua for you to Allah, it will more likely be answered than just your dua to Allah directly. Because you are a sinful man. You are an evil man. You can't reach the level of this pious person. So, ask him to make dua for you, it is better. It is more worthy of being accepted. So now, now this is, the, 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 this is now where shirk has now actually entered. Right? Because the shafa'ah, Belongs to Allah Azawajal. You are prohibited from asking for shafa'a from anyone except you ask it from it from directly from Allah Azawajal. Walillahi shafa'atu jami'ah. To Allah belongs all shafa'a. So you ask Allah, Oh Allah, grant me the shafa'a of your messenger. Grant me the shafa'a of the angels and the righteous on Yawmul Qiyamah. This is permissible. Because you are asking from Allah. But now when you say to the deceased, Oh so and so, intercede. With Allah on my behalf. You are now giving this person the right to be engaged in intercession without the permission of Allah. You are now giving this man an authority which belongs only to Allah. And so, therefore, now you have moved from the previous stages now into the realm of shirk. Right? So, this now is the fourth stage. And then, what happens in the fifth stage? Now because, now the whole issue is to do with the, the wali and the righteous man and his supplication and his intercession for you with Allah. So now the fifth stage is where the shirk becomes established and settled. So shaitan inspires these people to say that you must come, you must offer devotion to this wali, you must sacrifice animals to this wali, you must come and make, you, you must come and make an oath. You must come and ask for your needs, such as asking for rescue and asking for cure. And these things come to this wali and present all these things to him. Because he is the one who will take them to Allah And so now we see that the major actions of worship, like sacrifice and like making istighatha, seeking rescue from calamity and seeking cure, all these major things now they follow thereafter. And the shirk now has been settled. And then after this stage, shaitan moves him to the sixth stage, which is now he makes him to be a caller to this way. He says, go and call the people to this, because in this is benefit for the people in this life and the next. So then he becomes a caller to this falsehood and to this shirk. And then anyone who comes and says that this is, this is prohibited by Allah, this is shirk with Allah. Then they respond, because Iblis, shaitan has inspired him. They say, well, you are someone who hates the awliya of Allah. We are trying to love and respect the awliya, and you hate them and you despise them. Right? So the point that I'm mentioning here is that this 
is a great and mighty and serious affair. You can see that in the Muslim nation, when you look in the Muslim countries, this is found almost in every single place, from the Far East you know, to Asia, to the North African countries, to the Af- Middle African countries, and Syria. Everywhere you see people are upon this, and they think this is the Islam that the Messenger came with. And the matter is so serious that we see that Ibrahim salam, and he is who he is, he is, you know, from the the, the, ima, from the the most resolute of the messengers, and he is the Khalil of Allah and he is from those who are from from the Muslims and from those who are Hunafa upright. He is not from the Mushrikeen. He himself made a dua to Allah Azawajal. وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّجْ أَلْحَاذَ الْبَلَدَ آمِنَا When Ibrahim said, O oh my Lord, make this city to be secure. Amin. Secure. وَجْنُبْنِي وَبَنِيَّ الْأَسْنَامِ And make, protect me, or make me and my offspring to be distant, far, far away from that we should worship idols. Who would think that a, pro- that a messenger of Allah, such as Ibrahim alayhi salam, would make the likes of this dua, and he is who he is. This is because the roots to shirk are subtle. They are hidden. They, are, they, they, they occur in small, small, small stages. There is major shirk. There is minor shirk. There is hidden shirk. And a person is always subject to danger if he does not protect himself with a sound understanding of what he is professing. And likewise, all of the ways and means that lead to him moving step by step towards the greatest crime that can be committed, which is shirk with Allah Azawajal. So for that reason, this, this introduction that I've given to you, it emphasizes the greatness of studying this kalima, la ilaha illallah. This is the way of the prophets. This is the way of the people of Tawheed and Sunnah. We never ever tire of discussing these affairs because the benefit of the life and the hereafter is built around this very affair. Every evil that we see upon the earth, then its asal, its foundation is worshipping others besides Allah and disobeying the messenger, and every goodness and every benefit in the dunya and the hereafter is its, its asal, its foundation is the tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal and obedience to the messenger and following his sunnah alayhi salatu So in that respect, with that context, we are discussing this tafsir, the tafsir of this kalima, la ilaha illallah. And this is a risala, small risala by Shaykh al-Islam Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala. And it has some commentary by Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan. And so we want to take benefit from this. And maybe we'll, we will cover this uh, in a lesson or two, inshallah ta'ala. So we begin. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Su'il al-Shaykh Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala. An ma'na la ilaha illallah. So the Shaykh rahimahullah ta'ala, he was asked about the meaning of la ilaha illallah. فَأَجَابَ بِقَوْلِهِ So he responded with his statement, اِعْلَمْ 
rahimakallahu ta'ala anna hadihil kalima hiya al-fariqatu bayna al-kufri wal-islam. He said, no, may Allah have mercy upon you. That this statement, this word, this statement is that which distinguishes between disbelief and Islam. Between disbelief and Islam. So this statement is the separating line, the dividing line between Islam on one side and disbelief on the other side. And so the Shaykh, Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah, he comments upon this after sending, after praising Allah and sending salat and salam upon the Messenger of Allah. He says, Kalima la ilaha illallah. This word, la ilaha illallah, kalimatun azimah, is a mighty word, khafifatun ala lisan, wa hiya azimatun fil mizan. It is something that's very easy for you to say it with the tongue. Very light, very easy. But it is mighty indeed upon the scales. And this is because in reality it comprises the essence of Islam. It comprises the essence of Islam. However, and this is where we have to take note, that this kalima isn't something that you just merely say with, you know, with the tongue. Rather, there are, this kalima that we say, it has four things. There are four things that every single Muslim must know. In other words, if someone was to ask you, explain to me the La ilaha illallah, then the way you would respond was to say, right, there are four things that you need to know. One, two, three, four. Right? So no Muslim can be ignorant of these four things. If you are ignorant of these four things, or one of them, or two of them, you have not understood this kalima. So what are those four things? And these four things are the ones that will be elaborated upon in what follows from the rest of this treatise. So, this kalima isn't just what is expressed with the tongue, because that's easy. Rather, there is, first of all, number one, it has a ma'na. It has the ma'na, the meaning. What is this kalima saying? What are you saying? What's the meaning that you are expressing when you say La ilaha illallah? So there is a ma'na, number one. Number two, there is a muqtada. Muqtada. Muqtada means that when you make this statement, there are certain implications. There are certain implications. There are certain consequences and there are certain necessary things which follow. They must follow. This is what is meant by muqtada, meaning that there are requirements which exist. That when you make this statement, straight away there are certain requirements that must be fulfilled for you to be truthful in what you are saying. So there is a ma'na and there is a muqtada. muqtada. There's a meaning and there is a requirement. And then there are arkan. Arkan. This statement has certain pillars. If these pillars do not exist, then the kalima is meaningless. It is void. It does not exist. So there must be pillars. What are the pillars? And fourthly, there are conditions. There are shurut. There are shurut. There are conditions to this kalima. Without these conditions, you are not being truthful. There has to be conditions. 
And so, if you, to give you an illustration of what we are referring to when we say that this kalima has a reality, right? There is a meaning, there is a muqtada, there is a ma'na and muqtada, there is arkan, there is shurud. And this is like when you see a man, he makes a claim about his children or a man, he makes a claim about his wife and he says, I love you, O my wife, or I love you, O my children. Now this meaning, this word, it has, this, this word, this phrase has a meaning. What does it mean, I love you? What does it mean? And then it has a requirement. If you say, I love you, then what does it require from you? There's certain behavior that must follow. Then there must be some conditions attached to it as well. There must be certain conditions. And without those conditions, you cannot really truly be truthful about what you are saying. If you understand what I mean. So in the same way, the kalima is not something you just repeat with your tongue. And you are jahil of its meaning. You are jahil of its muqtada. You are jahil of its arkan. And you are jahil of its shurut. It can't be possible. It can't be possible. And so therefore, our aim then is, by way of this lecture, is that by the time we finish, if someone says to you, explain to me the kalima, it could be your child, could be your wife, could be a non-Muslim, could be a Jew, could be a Christian. You explain to them the essence of Islam, this is how you explain to them the essence of Islam, the meaning of the kalima by way of these things. So this is the first thing that you should note, that the kalima is not something you just merely say with your tongue. Right? It has a ma'na, muqtada, arkan, and shurut. And if the intent behind the kalima, if, if the intention was that when the messengers were sent and the books were revealed, and the, the, the final messenger was sent and the Quran was sent, if the intention was, or the intent was, just repeat it with your, with your, you know, with, with, with your tongue, then every single person would have become a Muslim. Nobody would hesitate to say this kalima if there was no meaning, no requirement, no conditions, no pillars. It would be easy for everyone to say, La ilaha illallah. Everyone would, everyone would become Muslim. He wouldn't need to act or do anything. And so therefore we can see from this that this kalima is a great and mighty kalima. It is something that a person must actualize. Meaning that you implement it in your belief, in your speech, in your action. You actualize it in your, in your life, in everything. And so we see that because this kalima is so great, we see that there are certain other labels and titles that have been given to this kalima in the revealed texts. By way of example, from the names of the kalima is that it is kalimatul ikhlas. Kalimatul ikhlas. It is the word of sincerity. Why is that? Because when you say la ilaha illallah, you are saying, I will make my worship only for Allah and sincerely for Allah. So this is now ikhlas. It is purity and sincerity and purity in, 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 in worship. Because all of your worship now is only for Allah. This is ikhlas. Therefore it is kalimatul ikhlas. Because you have negated shirk from Allah, you have affirmed worship only for Allah. So this, this is ikhlasul ibadah. It is ikhlasul tawheed. 
and it is abandonment of shirk. Likewise, it has been made or it has been given the title of Kalimatu Taqwa. Kalimatu Taqwa. The word of piety. The word of piety. And we see in the Quran, Allah Zawajal, He mentions in Surah Al-Fatih, uh, uh, in relation to the Messenger of Allah, فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ سَكِينَتَهُ عَلَى رَسُولِهِ وَعَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَأَلْزَمَهُمْ كَلِمَةَ التَّقْوَى That He, Allah, He sent His tranquility upon His Messenger and upon the believers, and He made binding upon them كَلِمَةُ التَّقْوَى the word of piety, the word of piety. Surah Al-Fatih, verse 26, Surah 48, verse 26. And this kalimat al-taqwa being referred to here in this ayah is the statement, La ilaha illallah. Why has it been referred to as kalimat al-taqwa? This is because the word taqwa, you know, it is connected to the word safety and deliverance. So a person who fears Allah, then this statement will save him from the fire. Because this statement, La ilaha illallah, it makes someone to perform the actions of taqwa, the actions of righteousness. And so because he fulfills these actions of righteousness, the kalima therefore has made him fear Allah, and thereby become saved from the hellfire. Hence the statement, hence the title, Kalimatu taqwa. Likewise from the from the titles given to it in the Quran or alluded to in the Quran is that it is said to be al-urwatul wuthqa al-urwatul wuthqa meaning the strongest handhold the strongest handhold that a person can have and hold on to this is in surah al-baqarah after ayatul kursi wama faman yaghfur bit-taghut wa yu'min billah faqad istamsaka bil-urwatil wuthqa that whoever rejects all the false deities and he believes in Allah, then he has held fast to the strongest handhold. And so this is Al-Urwatul Wuthqa. Here it is referring to the kalima. La ilaha illallah. That a person disbelieves in the taghut, meaning everything which is worshipped in falsehood besides Allah And he worships only Allah. So we see that all of these are different uh, names which are given to the uh, kalima, and all of this indicates the greatness of the kalima. So, as we said, Shaykh al Islam, he said here that this kalima, Islam, it is something that distinguishes between disbelief and between Islam. So, any person who expresses this kalima and he knows its meaning, and he acts upon its requirements, and he brings its conditions, and he brings its arqan, he has now become a Muslim. This is a Muslim who knows the meaning, and he acts upon what it requires from him. This is a Muslim. And as the one who simply refuses to say it to begin with, right? so the people are of different types, he refuses to say it to begin with, this then is the disbeliever. He has not entered into Islam at all. He refuses to say it. Or maybe someone might say it and he doesn't even know its meaning. He doesn't even know what he's expressing. Or he might express it and he does not act upon what it requires from him. So he says, La ilaha illallah. Then he goes and sacrifices a chicken or a sheep. 
by the side of the grave, hoping to win the favor of the dead person in the grave, expecting and anticipating his shifa with Allah. This man is committing shirk with Allah. He's saying, La ilaha illallah, and he's invalidating that by his action. Right? So he has not brought what is desired of him. He still cannot be a Muslim for the one who is who is like this. Rather, until not until he knows the meaning, and he acts upon what it requires from him, inward and outwardly, only then will he be a, a, a believer, a Muslim who has established the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. So now we understand a number of things, that the Kalima is a great and mighty affair, it is the essence of Islam, for you to understand it properly, you must know and understand four things, the ma'na, muqtada, arkan, and shurut. And that this isn't something that is just merely said with the tongue. And its greatness is indicated by way of the fact that it has many different names. Kalimatul taqwa, kalimatul ikhlas, al-urwatul wuthqa, and so on and so forth. And so, many people we see and from amongst them, the Shaykh mentions that there are many of those who repeat this kalima and they don't really benefit from this. And an example that the Shaykh gives here is that of the Sufis. We see that from the Sufis, they, for example, they sit and they don't say the whole kalima. They don't say, La ilaha illallah. They say, Allah, Allah, Allah. They sit in the gatherings and they say, Allah, Allah, Allah. And then they will go one step further and they will not even say the name Allah. They will say who, 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 meaning huwa, meaning he. Huwa, 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 huwa. So this is how they now play with the kalima. If they've taken it away from the meaning which is la ilaha illallah, there is none which has a right to be worshipped except Allah. And then they've used, they've, they've uh, shaved it right down to the pronoun who, who. And they repeat this in their circles. And what they intend by this, if, if you are familiar with, with their doctrines, what, what the reason behind this is, they believe that when you sit and you repeat this over and over again, you will reach a state of being in which Allah He will communicate with you. And you will become one with Allah You will become pure. You will transpire from the world. You will leave the world. And you will become one with Allah. When you become one with Allah, He will bring, He will reveal things to you. He will make revelation to you. Right? This is what they actually believe. This is why, why they do this. Right? So we've gone now from La ilaha illallah, what the messengers brought of worshipping Allah alone and the correct ma'na, to a meaning which is complete shirk. Shirk in rububiyyah. Because they claim that you actually physically you merge with Allah. You become one with Allah. Right? So this so this shows. And the reason why these people fell into this wasn't because all of a sudden one day they just turned to this belief. Rather it happened over centuries and centuries and centuries. Right? How they came to this how they came to this eventuality. And this again shows the importance of being firm upon ilm, upon knowledge, and understanding these affairs. You know, with knowledge, with understanding. So, basically, uh, these people, they, uh, you know, they were whispered to by shaitan. And first of all, you know, as we said, 
he moved them from saying La ilaha illallah to saying just Allah, Allah, then to just the pronoun who, who. And you know, he misplayed with their minds and misled them in this particular way. So this kalima then, the shaykh then says, وَهِيَ كَلِمَةُ taqwa وَهِيَ الْعُرْوَةُ الْوُثْقَى It is the word of piety, it is the strongest handhold which we've already discussed. And then he says, وَهِيَ الَّتِي جَعَلَهَا إِبْرَاهِيمُ عَلِيهِ السَّلَامُ بَاقِيَةً فِي عَقِبِهِ لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِئُونَ This is the very kalima. This is the very kalima that Ibrahim alayhi salam, he left amongst his offspring that they may return. Meaning this is the legacy of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam, what he called to, what he called his people to, his firmness in this affair, and his sacrifice for the sake of Allah in, in, you know, in, in struggling and striving to establish this tawheed, he left this kalima amongst his offspring. The offspring of Ishaq, and the offspring of Ismail, you know, and, and, the, and their offspring. He left it amongst them, that it may remain with them, that they can return back to it, return back to the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And so in this regard, we now come to Ibrahim alayhi salam, and we see that amongst his people, he said to them, إِنَّنِي بَرَاءٌ مِّمَّا تَعْبُدُونَ he said to them, Indeed, I am free of that which you worship. Except the one who originated me. This actually is the kalima. Think about it. This is what he's saying. That indeed, I am free from whatever you worship. I am free of it. So he made a negation. He negated. I am free of whatever you are worshipping. Except the one who originated me. So he made a negation, then he made an affirmation. This is the kalima. La ilaha illallah. I am free from whatever you worship, except the one who originated me. These two things are the same. Right? There's negation. La ilaha. There is no deity worthy of worship. And Ibrahim Islam, he says, I am free from everything which you worship. And then, illallah, except Allah. And Ibrahim al-Islam, he says, except the one who originated me. This is exactly the same thing. It is the kalima. It is the kalima, la ilaha illallah. This is what Ibrahim al-Islam, he left for those who came after me. So we have, uh, we have the meaning of the kalima. The meaning is there is none which has the right to be worshipped except Allah alone. And then it continues, وَجَعَلَهَا وَجَعَلَهَا This is in the ayah, وَجَعَلَهَا He made it, meaning Ibrahim Islam, he made this kalima, kalimatan baqiyatan fi aqibihi. He made it to be a word that remains amongst his offspring. For that reason we see that amongst the offspring of Ibrahim salam, there never ceases to be people who say, La ilaha illallah. Today, and in every generation after him, there have always been are people who say, La ilaha illallah, who understand its meaning, who understand its muqtada, who understand its arkan and shirut, and who act upon all of that. And even if they're only a small in number, they have always been found, you know, nevertheless. So this then is what the Messenger Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was sent with. And he was sent 
to finalize this call and to explain this call in great detail. And we see that historically speaking, the shirk which is entered upon the earth is of two types. There are two types as the scholars explain. There is the shirk of the people of Nuh alayhi salam and there is the shirk of the people of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And both of these two types of shirks, uh, types of shirk with Allah that they are the ones which, which dominate and are found across the dunya. And these two types of shirk are number one, the shirk of Nuh, of the people of Nuh alayhi salam found amongst the people of Nuh alayhi salam is that whose foundation is to exaggerate in the status of the righteous people. Right? So this is one route to how people eventually fall into shirk. That you start raising people, you start raising the righteous people above the level that Allah has given them. And likewise you raise the prophets and messengers to a degree where you start giving them the rights which belong only to Allah. Whereas we have been ordered to respect them and venerate them and to obey them and to follow them within the limits of the sharia, within the limits. But as for when you go beyond the limit, as we see the Christians have done, and they've given the rights which belong to Allah and the qualities which belong to Allah to Isa salam, then they have exceeded the limits. Right? So this is now exaggeration in the righteous, the righteous dead, and in the prophets and in the messengers. And by way of this, Shaitan, because shaitan finds root because people naturally have a love towards the righteous people. Naturally they have a love for the prophets and messengers. So he monopolizes upon this love and makes them fall into exaggeration with respect to it. And a person will never suspect, you know, because he's thinking, well, I love them. How can I be misguided? Because he uses a positive quality, right, to lead them into misguidance, right, to fall, make them fall into exaggeration. So this we see that if you look in all of the nations, you'll see that one of the, uh, the reason why they fall into what they fall into is because of exaggeration in the righteous people. And then when we look in the Sharia, when we look in the Sunnah, we see so many barriers which have been placed in order to prevent exaggeration. He said about himself, do not exaggerate in praising me. Like the Christians exaggerated in praising Isa Islam. La tatruni kama atratin nasara Isa ibn Maryam. But rather say, for indeed I am only a slave and a messenger. So say about me, a slave and a messenger. Likewise, he spoke of the kings of, 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 the, of the Romans and the Persians who stand for their, for their kings, and he prohibited that. Likewise, he prohibited praising people to their faces. So he, he, he put down many, many things that, pre, that prohibit ghulu and exaggeration. Some people would come to him and say, whatever Allah willed and whatever you willed. He would become angry and say, you have made me a partner with Allah and equal with Allah. Rather say whatever Allah willed. All of these things we can see clearly in the Sharia are very clear and apparent that the messenger of Allah has come with perfect, complete guidance to cut off all of these doors that lead to ghulu and lead to exaggeration. Right? So this is one of the types of shirk that entered into the, the, the people of the earth. The second route to shirk is of the type of the people of Ibrahim alayhi salam. And this is a more, more of a philosophical type of shirk. Right? It is, it is, it is 
a type of uh, philosophical type of shirk. And this is whereby people, they looked at the stars, they observed the stars, and they were amazed and awestruck by the stars and the you know, planets and whatever they saw. And they began to believe and they began to take note of the motions of the stars and the positions of the stars. And they believed that, shaitan made them believe that these stars are inhabited by spirits and maybe Allah Azawajal, he put spirits in these stars. And that these bodies which are in these stars, they influence the events which take place upon earth. And they believed that this was the way that Allah's creation operates. And then around that they built mathematics and astronomy and, you know, um, mixing all of these beliefs together. They then try to influence the worldly event. They believe, believe that worldly events can be influenced by the stars and their positions. And so therefore they began to create, you know, edifices and buildings and things of that nature. As a mean and, and couple and, and mixed with all of that was obviously astronomy, mathematics and calculations and so on and so forth. And then, you know, this formed the basis of magic as well. Because if you look at a lot of the, 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 the magic of the, of, of the Yahud in the, uh, what they call the Kabbalah and in the Talmud and whatever else, you find that these squares where they have the numbers, all of these are representations of some of the planets like Jupiter and Saturn, whatever else. And because they believe that these things can influence worldly events. So from that now came, came, came magic as well. So, so the people of Ibrahim Islam, the Sabi'ah, or Sabi'ah, the Sabians, this is what they were into. And so they built these idols, they built these edifices, they used to worship them. And this is what Ibrahim Islam, he came and he came to you know, abolish the shirk. And that's why he would look at the sun and in disgust he would say, this is my Lord. He would look at the stars and say, this is my Lord. And it would disappear, say, this is my Lord, out of disgust. You know, out of rhetorically, is this my Lord? Right? So, so he came to refute that type of, of shirk. And so that's another type of shirk that you see present amongst the various nations of the world. So the shirk upon the, of the people of the earth is either of the type of the people of Nuh salam, which is exaggeration in the righteous, and that's the root towards shirk, or it is a philosophical type of shirk which you know has with it these elements and it involves the stars and the planets and whatever is connected to that and this is the type of shirk of the people of Ibrahim alayhi salam so uh, so, the, so the point being that this is what Ibrahim salam he came to uh, to speak against and Nuh alayhi salam as you know uh, he came and uh, he came to call his people for almost a thousand years minus fifty and morning and evening he called to them, they put their fingers in their ears, he continued, right, until Allah inspired him to build, you know, the, the, the ship and the ark, and then the people were destroyed. So, um, this is a, 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 an introduction to uh, the Risala, the first few pages of the uh, Risala. And so after this statement, the, the Shaykh says, وَلَيْسَ murad." What is not intended is just that you say it with your tongue without even knowing what is its meaning. And we'll finish on making one note for this lesson today, inshallah ta'ala, which is that to, to make faith to be restricted just to what you say with a tongue and to eliminate what you are supposed to do with your limbs 
This is a false doctrine. It is a doctrine of a group of a sect which appeared and they are known as the Murji'ah. Murji'ah. This word Murji'ah, Irja, in, in its linguistic meaning, it means to delay something, to put off something. Right? To delay something and to put off something. This is the meaning. What it means here is to delay actions, to put off actions. And moving on from that, it is to separate actions from faith. Right? So, the intent behind this kalim is not to just say it with a tongue and being ignorant of its meaning and not to act upon it what it requires. This is from the ways of the uh, murji'ah. Those who say that as long as you just speak with the tongue, then you have brought all of faith. You have completed your faith just by saying, La ilaha illallah. Doesn't matter if you don't pray, don't fast, don't do the righteous deeds, your iman is still perfect. Why? Because iman is something that's just in the heart and something you say with the tongue. As for all of the outward actions of righteousness, praying, fasting, giving zakah, making hajj, worshipping Allah alone, fearing Him, making dua to Him, you know, and all the various other righteous actions, this doesn't increase your faith, nor does it decrease your faith if you don't bring them. But it's just something that adds, you know, it, 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 it's just from the fruits of faith, but it's not from faith itself. So, your faith is still complete to begin with. Just with belief and speech. Right? This is false. This is false. This is a false doctrine of those people who are known as the murji'ah. Rather, you must bring belief in the heart with respect to this word, kalima, la ilaha illallah. You must understand its meaning and then you must express that with conviction. And then you must start acting upon what it requires from you. And that is what will enter you into paradise. The deeds which are from Iman. As for just merely saying it, then it is not something that will bring you into paradise if you are ignorant of its meaning. And you do not bring what it requires from you. So for that reason, Shaykh al-Islam, Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said here, وَلَّيْسَ الْمُرَادُ قَوْلُهَا بِاللِّسَانِ مَعَ الْجَهْلِ بِمَعْنَاهَا That what is not intended here is to just merely say with your tongue, and to be ignorant of its meaning. فَإِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يَقُولُونَهَا وَهُمْ تَحْتَ الْكُفَّارِ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ For indeed we see the hypocrites. They say the kalima. They say the kalima. Yet they are in a level lower than the disbelievers in the lowest levels of the hellfire. So how can it be the hypocrites are saying لا إله إلا الله Yet Allah has judged them to be lower than the disbelievers in the hellfire. Because, and alongside that, ma'aqawnihim yusallun wa yatasaddaqun. And at the same time, the hypocrites, they're coming to the mosques, they're praying, they're fasting, alongside the messenger, alongside the companions. They're going out making jihad in the path of Allah, alongside the messenger, alongside the companions. They're doing the outward deeds of righteousness, yet they are in the lowest depths of hellfire. Why is this? Because in the heart there is no uh, sincerity. There is, you know, they are ignorant of its meaning. So this is an introduction uh, to uh, this lesson. And uh, we finish on the note with respect to these hypocrites. And that is because they conceal disbelief inside. And then they use Islam as a veil on the outside. And this is, be and this is because when they saw the Muslims are strong and there's no way except to be a Muslim, then they just conceal disbelief inside. 
and outwardly showed the symbols of Islam, the, you know, the outward manifestations of Islam, yet they disbelieve inwardly. And as Allah he says, That they deceive Allah, try to deceive Allah, try to deceive the believers, those who believe. But they do not deceive except, except themselves. And that's because they say, La ilaha illallah, and they disbelieve in its meaning, or they are jahil of its meaning, but they've just taken Islam outwardly as a shield for themselves to protect their status, to protect their wealth, to protect their possessions, to protect their authority, and whatever else it is that they, that they are inclining to of the worldly affairs. Right? So this is the nature of the munafiqeen. And so making the kalimah, saying the kalimah did not enter them into Islam. وَلَكِنَّ الْمُرَادِ قَوْلُهَا مَعَ مَعَرِفَتِهَا بِالْقَلْبِ وَمُحَبَّتُهَا وَمُحَبَّتُ أَهْلِهَا وَبُغْضُ مَنْ خَالَفَهَا وَمُعَادَاتُهُ Rather, what is intended by this kalima is to have to say it whilst having knowledge of it in the heart, and then to love this statement and what what it means, and to love the people who utter this statement likewise, to love its people, and to dislike the one who opposes it, and to show enmity towards them. So we'll conclude the first lesson on that note, inshallah ta'ala, and we will continue with this in the next time that we have this lesson, just really as a recap of what we've discussed in the first lesson, uh, which is that this kalima, la ilaha illallah, it is really the essence of Islam. And no Muslim can really be ignorant of what it means and what is its essence. Its essence is explained by four things, the ma'na, the meaning, the muqtada, the arkan and the shirut. And these shall be elaborated upon inshallah ta'ala in the, in, in the next lesson. So every Muslim must be able to explain these things whenever he's asked about the kalima. And the kalima's greatness is indicated by the fact that in the Qur'an, in the text, there are certain uh, titles which have been alluded for it. Kalimatul ikhlas, kalimatul taqwa, al-urwatul wuthqa, al-fariqatu bayna al-islami wal-kufr. All these great and lofty titles. And that... Um, that this is something that Ibrahim... Ali Salam, that he left amongst his offspring, that they may continue to repeat it and return back to it, and that the intent is not just merely to say it with the tongue and to be ignorant of its meaning. And that this is from the ways of the munafiqeen, which are one category. Then there are amongst the Muslimin who are ignorant, you know, from the extreme Sufis, they, they misunderstand the meaning of the kalima. Then there are others who say it. They're ignorant of its meaning, they say it with a tongue, they contradict it in their actions. So all of this shows the great danger and that we must be upon basira, upon ilm, upon you know, insight, understanding with respect to this kalam, that we teach this to our children. Because this is how knowledge is lost. That you don't convey and pass this on. And so your children are raised ignorant. They don't know, they don't know Islam, they don't know Tawheed. And they don't know these intricate details, they are not, you know... Uh, uh, Nurtured upon the, 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 the sound understanding. And so when they grow up, they are old, they become prone to doubts, and then next thing you know, they are on the path towards the path that we, that we discussed, the path towards shirk, because of the shubuhat, the misconceptions. So it is vital that we understand this affair. So inshallah ta'ala, we'll conclude our first lesson there. We'll continue with this uh, the next time that we meet, inshallah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.